0: Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. As we settle into this place, give yourself about three deep breaths that you might open your heart and recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in with and among us right now. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Good
1: Good morning. Standing or sitting, let us join together now in the call to worship. Open us to your presence, O Spirit. Give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and spirit to recognize you. Engage us with your challenge and invitation. Give us willing and curious souls. Lead us into deeper understanding. Give us the courage to look for divine possibility.
2: may be seated.
3: Welcome. Welcome to worship here at Westminster. It is certainly good to be worshiping together this morning. If you're visiting, special welcome to you. I invite everyone out to our patio area after worship. Chance for donut halls and coffee and tea and especially a chance to converse more with one another. I do invite you, if you're sitting here in the center aisle during the offering, if you'd take that pew register, sign it, pass it down the aisle, pass it back. We found that it's a really wonderful way to get to know the names of people who are sitting near you and perhaps greet one another after worship. Let's uh, join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray together. God, our life of faith is shrouded in so much mystery. There is so much we do not understand. There is so much we think we are supposed to believe, and some of us feel we don't measure up when we cannot make cognitive leaps. As a church, we ask for forgiveness if we have constructed our teachings around asking people to accept what they cannot, rather than an invitation into discovering what they can. We seek a deeper understanding of the images and stories of the tradition. We desire to respond to the best of the faith with the best of ourselves. Our prayers continue in quiet. friends, know that the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ forgives us, heals us, and sets us free. And may God's light shine out of that place of freedom in each one of us. Amen. So our prayer time continues now with joys and concerns as we as a gathered community share with one another what is on our hearts and minds today. So if you have something that we should be in prayer about together, just raise your hand. Let me know. Yeah, Susan. Uh, I have this morning for Sandra yeah, with you. Yeah. Hmm. Pr- yeah, prayers for Sandra Iacopucci, one of our members who often gets a ride with Susan and Lewis. Her her hip is bothering her this morning, making her unable to come today. So we'll definitely hold Sandra in our prayers. Others? Yeah, Ruthie.
2: Woohoo! It was a great
3: joy joy and putting together IKEA things don't often mesh in the same sentence. I'm glad you found joy in that. Yes. So, yes, absolutely. So Ruthie shares a joy. Uh, she and Clark are celebrating their five-year wedding anniversary. And also that uh, they celebrated, not celebrated, yesterday in the ER. Clark had a couple of fainting spells yesterday. Still not quite sure why. So prayers for wisdom and health. Yes.
2: Anyone else? Yeah. Jerry.
3: Uh, the prayers of Joy's brother, who was on a complicated trip, has now returned safe and sound. That's good news. I would certainly add prayers for our students and teachers and school faculty. Lots of Marin folks going back to school this week. So prayers, prayers for all of you. Let's take just a few moments of quiet, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us be in prayer together. Holy God, we have gathered in worship today to celebrate your presence in our lives. Send your spirit to meet us here in our time together, that we may begin to glimpse your grace. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Father. Amen. I'd, I'd like to invite the children who are worshiping with us to join me this morning. In addition, I've asked a special guest to join me up here, too. All right. Good morning, everyone. Yes. Why don't you come sit with me here? Good to see you all. So this is Ben. In case you don't know who he is, this is my son, Ben. And I've asked him to join me this morning uh, because of his fashion sense. <laughs> Alright. Oh, look at this! They
2: look good.
3: <laughs> Your fashion sense is getting applause. <laughs> <laughs> Rob thinks you've toned it down. Ha ha ha. So, um, Ben actually did not dress up special for today. This is his usual church outfit, right? Bold shirt, crazy socks. Actually, these are new shoes. This may be the debut of these shoes, which is... He special ordered online because he loved them so much. In fact, I think you created them, right? So, Ben presents a very bold outward image, right? But what if you were to just sort of pass Ben in the hallway or pass him on the street and be like, oh my gosh, look at those clothes, and then think, I know everything about him just because of how he dresses. Yeah, I can make all kinds of guesses about who he is because of his socks. Well maybe you are kind of a bold guy, but we'd be missing out on so much if we didn't actually take the time to get to know him a little better. If all we saw was his clothes and didn't take the time to ask him questions about himself or find out what he likes or dislikes, we'd be missing a lot of who Ben was, right? I was thinking the same thing. You happen to have a parent who works at this church. You happen to have a parent who works at this church. What if people like, oh, I know these guys because I know their parents. I know all about them because I know their parents. That would and they didn't get to know you. I was thinking about you two. You go to school where your dad works, right? You know, what if people at school were like, oh, I know their dad, so therefore I know all about them, and they don't actually take the time to get to know you. That would be such a bummer because you're different people than your dad, right? You have different likes and interests and things about you. So we're going to hear a story in Sunday school about someone who people thought they know just by kind of seeing him around, maybe knowing a little bit about him. But they never actually took the time to get to know him even better. And we're going to take the time to do that today, all right? Because that's important. So why don't you follow me out, and we'll go hear more about that story, okay? Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the We're. Are you coming with us? Okay, we're gonna head up the stairs here. Mike's on coach. Yeah. Turn off your microphone. No, we're gonna head up the stairs.
0: <laughs> Nobody tell her, and let's hear what the. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: scripture reading this morning is Matthew chapter one, verses eighteen to twenty-five. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, the words, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her, until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Well,
0: it's so nice to see so many of you again after a few weeks away of some uh, restful vacation. When I came back, among other things, outside my door, I found a small present that was wrapped. And it said it was from your 830 family. This is the 830 worship service. When I opened it up, I found this. I don't know if you know what this is. It's a time of year when you'll see more of these. It's a wristband that quarterbacks wear in football. Okay. So the game has gotten so complicated that uh, the, the players can't keep everything in their head, and so you'll see before a play, a, a, a play will be called in from the sideline, and a quarterback will look at like this, and then they'll call a play in the huddle. But this, is, this was labeled pastor's assistant, on which you could put scriptures, sermon notes, quotes, announcements, I need help on that one, if you've ever seen me do announcements, it's terrifying, and more. Now they said it was for both Bethany and for me, though we don't know who really needs the help, But I got to thinking, what would you put in your wristband? Your spiritual or your life-guiding wristband? The things that you want to be able to turn to in in the heat of things to remind you where you need to go or what you're about, who you are, what you're supposed to be doing. What's most essential to you? Sadly, Christianity in a lot of circles has been reduced to a set of essentials of things, usually propositional statements that you're supposed to believe, that I might argue are neither essential nor that easy to believe, leaving a whole host of people saying, I can't believe in that, or I can't be a part of that, or I must not measure up, or I must not be good enough. I think today's story is a perfect example, a beautiful and powerful story, often referred to as the virgin birth. But lots of people, and maybe not you, which is certainly fine, struggle with that story. And they're not sure how to make that work. They don't know what they're supposed to believe. Well, I should stop at this point and and make clear now, if I haven't already, I don't take it as my job to tell you what you should believe. That's not been my ministry. It's not been Bethany's. It hasn't, wasn't Barb's ministry. We hope to teach what we think we are to be about as people of Jesus. But you get to make up your own decisions about what you believe. And together, we decide as a community what we want to be about as we fashion our lives in the image of Christ. Again, though, sadly, some people struggle with a story like this because they think, oh, I don't know if I, can, if I can get there, if I can accept that. And the tragedy is then they throw the baby out with the bathwater, that baby, out with the bathwater. I mean, we don't see uh, regularly virgins going around giving birth. I mean, maybe you know of the scientific term parthenogenesis. I just wanted to say that out loud. It's a a scientific phenomenon among uh, some species that can essentially simultaneously reproduce without mating. It does happen in nature. Was that Mary? Maybe. You know, who knows? But most of the time, it doesn't happen. Well, it's a really important story and a pregnant image, pun intended, and it deserves some background so we don't just discard it because there's so much in it. So let's slow down and talk about it for a moment. First of all, it may not surprise you that the virgin birth would have been seen as miraculous in the ancient world. You might be thinking, that's quite obvious, Rob. And it is obvious. But what may surprise you is why the virgin birth would have been seen as miraculous. It would not have been seen as miraculous because it was unique virgin birth was not novel in the ancient world. What, you may be saying? But it turns out this was a common motif in ancient literature when describing certain people. So here's a list of figures about whom a virgin birth was claimed uh, in the ancient world. It's compiled by a guy named Reverend Ben Robinson. Zoroaster the Persian messianic figure in the center of what would be called Zoroastrianism. Pharaoh Amenhotep III, one of the pharaohs, virgin birth. Marduk, not just a common comic strip, but the Babylonian god, said to have been born of a virgin. Thesis, the founder of Athens. Alexander the Great. Pythagoras, whose theorem we've all learned and Caesar Augustus, whose month we're all in. All were claimed to have been born of virgins. So it was not unique. So what's novel, what's powerful, what you might say is miraculous is not the biology of this story, but the identity of the people who inhabit it. None of those figures look at all like little Jesus and Mary, right? It's extraordinary that those people from Podunk Nazareth would be depicted in a birth narrative, save for people like Caesar Augustus. Think of that. It's a statement about not only who Jesus is and what God's doing in Jesus, it's also a statement redefining what real power looks like, what real rulership looks like. Now, as you hear at Christmas time, uh, it's said that Jesus was born in this way to fulfill prophecy, the prophecy of the Old Testament. It was, Matthew said it uh, in the reading, you just heard Barb offer. That Old Testament prophecy is from Isaiah 7.14. And if you pull out your Bibles, it will read, As follows, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. I always laugh because the next line in the reading is, and so she named him Jesus. (laughs) Look, it's stressful to give birth. Let's be easier. Did you notice the slight difference in what I read from Isaiah? The young woman is with child and shall bear a son. And what Barb read from Matthew, the virgin shall conceive. What's going on there? Maybe it happened just as prophesied. Remember, I'm not here to tell you what to believe. Maybe Mary was a virgin, visitation from the angel. She conceived of the Holy Ghost and gave birth in accordance with the prophecy. Maybe Matthew constructed a narrative in such a way as to convey an important message about who Jesus was. And he did so by drawing on Old Testament prophecy. But the thing is, Matthew didn't read the same Old Testament that you and I read. Matthew was reading what's called the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. We read a version that is based on the Hebrew. When the Greek translators looked at the Hebrew Old Testament, this line, there's a word that can mean virgin or young woman. And the Greek translators chose the greek word that only means virgin so if matthew is constructing a narrative to convey his conviction about who jesus was it would make sense that he would do it within the motif set out by isaiah as he read it we we know almost certainly he did this with the palm sunday story why because in the palm sunday story if you read matthew's version there's something quite humorous It appears that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, not just on one donkey, but on two. Read it for yourself. That's what it looks like. Why is that? Matthew is uh, reading a prophecy from Zechariah, again, because he wants to tell you who Jesus was. It's an honest conviction. He doesn't understand, though, how Hebrew poetry works. In Hebrew poetry, poetry, you say something and then you repeat it in a slightly different way. So it says the colt and a foal of a donkey, and he thinks, "Okay, Jesus is riding a colt and a foal of a donkey." So because of that, we think that it's possible Matthew wrote the story in a certain way that draws on the prophecy. Now, to modern Christians, this might some of them might find this offensive or an insult or a threat to their faith. I don't want it to be any of those things. Remember, you have your own convictions, hold on to them. Ancient folks would not have been troubled by this because they didn't see the gospel writers as documentarians who were telling you what it was like if, if there was a camera on it, though they didn't know what a camera was. That's a very modern sensibility. They understood these mythic narratives to be weaving tapestries that were meant primarily to tell you what things mean, not just what happened. So that translation was not an affront to Matthew's faith, and it shouldn't be to yours. It didn't undermine Matthew's conviction about Jesus being born of God. That's how Matthew conveyed his conviction that Jesus was born of God. And either interpretation, the more literal or the more metaphorical, conveys the same meaning. Jesus was born of God. Jesus was born of spirit. And remember, in John's gospel, this is what Jesus says, we are to be born of as well. He says you've got to be born again. You've got to be born above. You need to be born of spirit. And so the task when one faces this passage is not to squeeze until you can accept a a biological quandary. The task is to figure out, how can I recognize that Jesus was born of God and receive his invitation to likewise be born of God, to be born of spirit and to live in the world in a way that conveys that. How good are we at that? Do we ever even get to that task? Are we so caught up in this other task? How good are we at discernment, which is just the fancy word for learning what spirit wants from us, how we are to be born of that and convey that in our life? If you were here last week, you heard Betty Hassler preach beautifully about people in her life at key times who, who offered some wisdom and some direction, really led her, and I would say in a godly way, if you didn't see this, watch it on YouTube, that helped dramatically shape her life. How good are, are we at seeing our, 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 the call of our faith to hone that skill in our lives. I was uh, talking to a physician some years ago, an otolaryngologist. Oh, I've said it in both services correctly. That is a record. Uh, Ear, nose, and throat specialist. Although I was told now at Kaiser, it's head, neck, and surgery. I don't know. Um, At any event, I asked him how he came to his decision to specialize in that field of medicine. And his answer was surprising. It was simple and rather practical. It wasn't that he really loved throats or ear canals. Uh, it, as fascinating as, I mean, miraculous, you might say, is the ear is. It wasn't that he'd lost a loved one to maybe cancer of the throat or a disease that would have affected him or, him or her in that way. Rather, what it was, was he looked around at physicians already working and Made a decision based on who he thought looked the happiest. Sorry, Claude. Based on his disposition, who looked like Bob? Who looked like they they had a lifestyle that he wanted, and that's how he decided what to specialize in. But it's a really interesting way to make a decision, not based on all the other things that might be alluring—money or prestige or you know whatever. And it's kind of a good model or a good analogy for living the spiritual life. How do you discern what is of spirit, what is of God for you, in a way that cuts out the noise of other things that might be tempting, might be rewarding in some people's eyes, but ultimately aren't your path, aren't the best things. It's sort of that question of what you'd put on your wristband. We talked a few weeks ago about Jews fixing verses of the Torah to their bodies in what's called phylacteries, their wrist or their head. It's that same thing of cultivating the ability to to push out the other things and remember who you are and where you're supposed to be going to and, and to whom you should listen to truly be as Jesus would have us be, born of God. So the question that this story prompts in us, again, is... Can you believe a woman can give birth without having sex with a man? That's one question to spend time with. Another is, what practices can you cultivate in your life to be born of God? To make your life bear witness and live with integrity uh, on a spiritual path. So, might you dedicate some regular time to contemplative prayer? Might you make a commitment never to make a decision rashly, but first to stop? and be in a prayer that listens rather than only speaks so that you know what decision is truly in line with who you are and whose you are. What about cultivating a chosen family of friends, colleagues, of confidants, of mentors that you can gather regularly with whom you can be your true self and you can share earnest and difficult questions or things you're struggling with, knowing you'll get honest feedback, or open-ended questions, or people who will reflect back to you what they're hearing in a way that will actually guide you in a meaningful way. Maybe you don't live alone, and you want to cultivate a practice of family meetings in your house, where not only do you celebrate the things you've had in recent times, but you bring decisions to the table, knowing that you will make them in a way that's on the same page, and you'll hold each other to a high standard. Speaking of standards, maybe you'll just develop a very concrete list of your key and core values. And you'll run every decision and every action best you can through a screen of those values so you know how to choose how to be in the world. I think those are just as important questions to ask as whether and how Mary was able to give birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. So remember, God being born into the world is the task. That's the key event of this story. But th- the key is, it doesn't just happen once. The great Dominican mystic, Meister Eckhart, said this it's right on your bulletins We are all meant to be mothers of God, for God is always needing to be born. Isn't that wonderful? God is always in need of being born, and we just need to be the mother who can do so. So in this sense, if all we do is revere the Virgin Mary, we forget to join in with her. We can adore her, and we can be inspired by her, but really we're being invited to participate in her activity. This is very Richard Rohr sounding, if you follow Richard Rohr, Franciscan writer. He's all about participation. That life is not about squeezing yourself into belief. It's about uh, stepping in to participation in the divine mystery and the divine activity. So Rohr refocuses our attention away from propositional statements that we have to accept or we're out, litmus test Christianity, and instead invites us to participate in Christly activity. There's a quote of his that's been going around that I want to share with you because it's really captured people and I think it speaks beautifully to this subject. Rohr says this, Christianity is a lifestyle. Now that sounds mundane, but that's a dramatic statement. It's not a set of propositional statements. It's a lifestyle, a way of being in the world that is simple, nonviolent, shared and loving. However, we made it into an established religion, and all that goes with that, and avoided the lifestyle change itself. We missed the lifestyle part, he says. So we could be warlike, greedy, racist, selfish, and vain throughout most of Christian history and still believe that Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior or continue in good standing to receive the sacraments. The world has no time for such silliness anymore, he says. The suffering on earth is too great. Wow. That's refreshing. Someone who just says it like it is. You can't just say, well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but then continue to be warlike or greedy or racist or selfish or vain or any other set of non-Christ-like attributes and think you've gotten it. The point is to try to alter your lifestyle, that it reflects the way of Christ in the world, which is simple, nonviolent, shared, and loving. In fact, if you claim that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then by definition, you have to disavow those other things. And when presented with a gospel in those terms, scores of people who thought they couldn't be a part of this that they didn't measure up or somehow they've gotten it wrong or they just can't believe well enough, will sing in unison. Well, that I can believe. That I can get behind. This one who represents, is put into a story of the all-powerful figures of history who spent his time hanging out with outcasts, people that nobody wanted to be around, of advocating for the weak and for the poor, of speaking a difficult Word of truth to those who had a lot of power. Who washed the feet of his students. That I can get behind. I can believe in that. Sadly, so much of Christianity has been made in the image of the opposite of that. And it's born rotten fruit. So now return to that story, which you may, though I don't want to assume, have at the beginning thought, well, I I just don't read that one, or I don't believe in that. And now see how many expanded interpretations can bear gospel fruit. Sarah Wiles, a pastor in Blacksburg, Virginia, who I quoted a number of weeks ago, wrote beautifully on this passage. I want to share a quote with you that's edgy. It pushes the limits of imagination on possible interpretations of this passage, but listen for how it might bear fruit. See if I can get it. No, I need help. Let me just uh, put this on here. Okay. (laughs) She wrote this. If you love the traditional interpretation that this is a wild miracle, an affirmation of God's power and solidarity with the poor, then that's beautiful. Hold on to that. If you think it's more likely that Mary got pregnant in the usual way, Then we're reminded that every child born is from the Holy Spirit. It's an elevation of the incarnation. Hold fast to that. If you imagine Joseph was the father, and they just couldn't wait. Then we're reminded that God is with us in love that overtakes us. That isn't convenient. If you imagine Mary stepped out on Joseph and got pregnant with someone she shouldn't have, but Joseph still chose to love and raise this child as his own, then we're reminded that we're all adopted, claimed by a God whose love breaks every taboo. Now this one's going to push you. If you imagine that Mary was raped by Joseph or someone else, then we're reminded that from his very conception, Jesus was in solidarity with the broken and the abused in our world. And our churches are filled with both. Whether or not you believe Mary was one, if you read Matthew's genealogy, Jesus' lineage, is filled with those. From womb to cross, God is with us in our suffering. Turn this story every which way, and it's still gospel. The question is not what you can believe, it's what you want to fashion your life about what you will put in your wristband, what you will seal upon your heart that will guide you in such a way to live in the image and likeness of Christ. That's our task. seated. I have to confess, I always find it a tough transition after we hear beautiful music and a beautiful prayer to go into announcements. It's such a... <laughs> so we take a breath. I should say, um, when I saw that we were singing the Grateful Dead and Joni Mitchell in worship, I thought, I have arrived at a... <laughs> But you should know, just as Ruthie and Patty take, go to great lengths to make sure the music aligns with what they think I think I'm going to say, uh, whenever Michael or Glenn or others lead music, they, they come to us and they say, well, we want to make sure the words match and the tone. And so I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude for the ways in which you all support the worship in this church. We're trying to do a better job of not just reading the bulletin to you in announcements time, so I will trust you to read that on your own, as well as the E! News, other publications. A few I'll highlight that may not appear there. I noticed this week the Spiritual Life book group has chosen their, their book for the next round. Uh, it's a terrific one by Pema Chodron. Maybe you know her. Is this When Things Fall Apart? Is that the book we're doing? I think that's it. It's a really important book. It's not written from within the Christian household, which doesn't disqualify it in the least. It actually helps us expand. and might be a great uh, reason to invite somebody outside the church to be a part of it. That group is very open, and so that might be a safe way to, for somebody to engage. She's, a, she's a, um, a beautiful Buddhist writer and thinker and teacher, so uh, consider that. Stay tuned for ways you can participate in that online. Uh, August 21st, next week, as Bethany mentioned, school will be starting, so we'll do a blessing of the backpacks in worship. So if you have children, make sure you come, have them bring their backpacks. If you know other kids in the church, tell them it's a good Sunday to come so that we can surround them with love and blessing as they head into a school year and all that that carries with it in terms of nerves and excitement and the rest. Uh, In accordance with that, Well, also that Sunday, we've invited families with children to stay after in the playground. This sort of informally happens every week. To hang out in the playground a little bit longer after the 10 o'clock service to get to know each other. And I would invite all of you to attend that as well, even those of you who don't have children or young children in the church. In fact, it's just as important for our young families to meet you as it is to meet each other. So think about it next week. Grab your coffee, grab your donut hole, and head into the playground and make new friends. Help folks who are uh, in that phase of life feel really welcomed and connected to the life of this church. And with that, our closing hymn is number 99. Standing or sitting, let us sing together. You want to get to where you're singing along with Mary. That's the goal. As you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is father and mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.